Want to know how you too can be a force for nature? Head on over to forcesfornature.com and sign up to receive a free guide with practical actions that you can start taking today. I'm Crystal DiMicelli, and welcome to the Forces for Nature show. Do you find yourself overwhelmed with all the doom and gloom you hear of these days? Do you feel like you, as just one person, can't really make a difference? Forces for Nature cuts through that negativity. In each episode, I interview somebody who's doing great things for animals and the environment. We talk through the problem they're addressing, the solution they have found, what keeps them going, and we'll leave you with practical action tips so that you too can become a force for nature. Today's guests are Nina Fassione and Jeff Flocken, the founders of the Emerging Wildlife Conservation Leaders Program, otherwise known as UCL. UCL is near and dear to my heart, myself having been accepted into its fourth cohort oof, 10 years ago now. It was one of those pivotal experiences for me, both professionally and even personally. More on that a little later. Yugo was created to fill a need for more well-rounded, connected, and skilled leaders in the conservation field. They've delivered on that and so much more. Be sure to listen until the end to learn how you can get involved in one of the best professional development opportunities out there. Hi, Nina and Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me on Forces for Nature. It's so great to have you. It is fantastic to be here, Crystal. Crystal, it's awesome to see you. Thank you so much for having us. Today, we're going to be talking about the emerging wildlife conservation leaders. And before we get into the details of what exactly the program is, can you tell me a little bit about what your motivation was behind the creation of what's otherwise known as UCL? I can start with that. First off, Nina and I were both kind of peers in the conservation and wildlife community coming in together. And as such, we were able to see some of the things that were really frustrating. And we were both so passionate and excited about conservation and seeing some of the lack of capacity and lack of training and lack of opportunity stifling what could otherwise be very successful you know, individuals and, and effort in the conservation field was really frustrating. So the two of us sat down and after many, many times complaining about some of the things we were seeing that we didn't care for in the leadership in the community or lack of vision, we decided to do something about it. One of the other things we had discussed is that the people learn a lot of technical things in college and in grad school, but then they don't learn really some of the more hands-on skills. And we talked about that. And then a third aspect we talked about, and oh my gosh, Jeff, this seems like a million years ago, I think it was a million and one years ago, when, when you're young in the profession, it's hard to break in. Your older colleagues are established. Um, frankly, when I was a young colleague, you, you know, my older colleagues went out and played golf together on a, you know, on a Wednesday. And it's hard to kind of break into those circles. And so part of our initial motivation was to help these emerging leaders, these early career professionals, create their own networks and grow up with their own peer groups and networks uh, on or off the golf course, <laughs> but talking about why wildlife conservation. When did you guys create UCL? At this point, I think it was about 17 years ago. Does that sound right, Nina? I think that's it. Jeff and I were doing a koala workshop together in Australia and started this conversation and came back and just started uh, implementing it. Well, it, 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 the implementation actually was part of the fun. We pulled together some of our favorite people in the conservation field, people that we 
loved being around, loved laughing with and working with, and all of whom we'd seen as being real the kinds of leaders we wanted to see more of in the field. And we asked if they'd like to join our board. And what happened then is we had this incredible group get together and start brainstorming how we can really do something to help change conservation and the conservation movement in a very positive way is what we were hoping for. And I'm thrilled to say I think it worked. And it was a very much a group effort with a lot of great minds putting their heads together. Can I tell a story? You can you can edit this out, Crystal. But one thing about the Emerging Wildlife Conservation Leaders Program is that everybody loves to tell Jeff's stories. So Jeff and Jeff's like, oh, no, what's she going to say? <laughs> Jeff and I were, did all of this on our weekends and our evenings, right? This was outside of our jobs. And so we were in my work office over a weekend preparing all the materials for the first ever Euclid class, working so hard. But the alarm system was on in the building. And I'm short enough that I didn't set off the alarm, but Jeff's very tall. And so every time he walked anywhere, he was setting the alarm system off in the building. So that's um, one part of the genesis of Euclid. Jeff had to like kind of creep around the office building not to set off the alarms as we were prepping for our first ever training. Oh, yeah. I, I remember the lot of weekends and evenings. Uh, and actually, so this is another little Euclid story. We were having Euclid board meeting right before a training that was coming up. And it was, you know, a snowstorm happening. And I was at my house and it was on the weekend. And my wife went into labor and we were about to have our first, our first child, first or our only child. And Nina's like, you should really go. And I'm like, it's okay. We've got time. We've got to finish this call. And everybody on the call was like, what? What's, what do you mean? And I'm like, it's not that far to the hospital. It's just a little snowstorm. We'll be fine. We've got to wrap this up. And so that was one of those weekends where Yukel kind of dominated. Mary's still kind of barely, forgive me for that one. I could imagine why. Oh, that's great. I mean, so that I think is absolutely testament to both of you guys and all the people who are involved in Yukel, the passion that everybody brings to the program is above and beyond and borderline crazy. <laughs> borderline crazy, Crystal. When we're talking passion about Yukel, I, I think you have the best Yukel passion story because Jeff and I were both oh, at your wedding. Are, are you willing to share with your audience your oh, Yukel passion story? That passion story. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, yes, that's such a good story. And I can make it really long or I could try to make it short. Let's see how it comes out. So I was going to my second training of Yukel. And at the time, I was doing a fellowship in Panama. And so I had arrived in Florida. And as a matter of fact, I reached out to Jeff and Nina for advice before taking this fellowship opportunity. And Jeff was like, no, that sounds like, no, don't do it. Do you remember that, Jeff? <laughs> and Nina was like, yes, that's a great idea. You should totally do it. <laughs> so, this has a little bit of uh, kudos to Nina. Thank you. I take full but, um, responsibility for what happened next. <laughs> <laughs> so I arrive in Florida and I'm at the baggage claim. And Nina comes and meets me at the baggage claim. And you're like, oh, I forgot to tell you, there was somebody else also from Panama on the plane with you. Like, there is another ukuler. And so as we were walking to the van after getting the luggage, I see this, this handsome, <laughs> handsome man standing outside the van. And I'm thinking, damn, I can't believe you forgot. And we get in the van and we're driving to White Oak where the training was taking place. And he's sitting behind me and we're all chatting and he's got this like deep 
sexy, buttery voice. And I'm just like, totally sold. But it was a very professional week. We both head back to Panama our separate ways because we were in separate parts of Panama. But then as Javier tells me, a few weeks or a couple months later, he gets an email from Jeff who asks him, have you checked in on Crystal? Is she doing all right there in Panama? And he's like, oh, yes, yes. Let me let me reach out to her, see if she's okay. So this is where Jeff comes in. I know. I didn't realize Jeff that. Jeff, back up. <laughs> Jeff gets some credit too. Good. <laughs> so Javier reaches out to me and well, long story, long story short, we end up connecting. I go visit him in Panama City and nine years later, we're married and traveling around the world and do to both of you and story. I know we love it. We love it. It's my favorite Yukul story. I like it a lot. <laughs> now that we've learned a little bit about what went into creating this program, can you tell me more about what it is? Yukul is a two-year leadership training program for early career wildlife professionals. And it has three primary components. We work on skills training in a very experiential way. We work on networking. There's a huge networking component with other classmates, graduates of the program, board members, other professionals that we bring in. And then the third component, maybe the most fun, but they're all equally important, is that each class, they divide into four groups and works on kind of a hands-on in situ or in the field conservation project over the course of their two-year program. And so when they graduate, they have this huge network of friends and colleagues and allies and people, well, as your story shares, uh, have gotten very close through the program. And then they have skills training, including everything from how to write a grant proposal to they practice doing press and interviews and that sort of thing, how to create a campaign, all sorts of skills training. Uh, and then they have a conservation project under their belts. You know, with the conservation project, it may seem redundant since they're already all in the field working. But the thing is, particularly with the larger organizations, folks get in a niche. Either they're in fundraising or they're in communications or they're in scientific research um, or campaigning. But because of that, they don't get a lot of exposure to the other aspects that go to a successful campaign. And that actually hinders them as they become leaders and ride up in their, ride up in their organizations because they only really have hands-on experience in one aspect of what they're doing. And eventually they'll be taking um, leadership roles and supervising and guiding larger campaigns. They'll have to have a better understanding. So with these smaller isolated campaigns they undertake while they're in UCL, they get a holistic experience. They get to do a project from planning to implementation to monitoring all the aspects and really getting a better understanding of what their colleagues do on a daily basis as well as being able to use their own skills and show the people in the UCL class how to do what they're most experienced with. Now, who does Yukul cater to? I, um, I think you may have mentioned tends, it. Yeah. Yukul uh, was really founded to help early conservationists who are doing wildlife conservation either locally, nationwide, or internationally. And that tends to be people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, all the way to late 30s. Also, we have a mix of folks who are here in the U.S. practicing international conservation, as well as folks outside of the U.S., who are doing conservation in their own countries. Almost every class, which tends to be between 20 and 25 participants, has three to five international participants who are funded by some of our great sponsors like the Houston Zoo or Wildlife Conservation Network. 
One other aspect of the diversity we try to bring to the class is that we have folks from nonprofit organizations. We've had state agency folks, federal agency folks, people within private industry that work on conservation. And frankly, we have had a very interesting cross-cutting sector of people that run the conservation spectrum in terms of philosophies from people leaning animal welfare side of things all the way to your more hook and bullet, as I say, side of conservation. And that has led to some really interesting conversations in, in the classroom. Can you tell me what the role of the partners have been in all of this? One of the things that makes UCL very unique is that if a participant is accepted, they're not required to pay for any of this. This is actually all covered by some incredibly generous sponsor groups and partners who saw the need to build this campus capacity and to find new ways to bring up and coming leaders into their own. So we've been working since the very beginning with the White Oak Conservation Center in Yulee, Florida, who's probably been our biggest sponsor, but we've also had other groups that have been with us for a long time. World Wildlife Fund, the Houston Zoo, Wildlife Conservation Network, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and then SeaWorld, Bush Gardens, and Disney. We, we've had some really, really amazing groups step up. In addition to that, we also have our project partners. Nina, did you want to talk about those? Yeah, I can start with this one, and I'll start by joking with a lot of huge debates amongst the board of directors, because of course, we all have our favorite taxonomic groups. But really, we look for projects that a group of individuals can do from afar. Now, it's interesting, as it turns out over the years, many, many of our participants have wound up visiting and working a little bit in the countries where the species are held. But really, we're looking for the right type of project for folks to do, which is something concrete, something that can be mostly done from afar, and and one where there is a sponsoring or partner organization that's willing to work with this group because it takes some training. They've got to be willing to put a little time into to helping and assisting. Now, we've had project partners. I mean, there have been many. Gosh, Jeff, jump in with over eight classes, you know, times four each. Yeah. So we've had well over 30 project partners and the projects often wind up to be so valuable to them. We've had project partners come back and kind of beg to get a- another UCL class working on their projects. And and these are nonprofits, large and small, around the world, everything from, you know, bats to lions to bears to all sorts of Critters Rhinos were the latest class of four different rhino projects. And then they each have their own project partner that have been, um, and let me shout out to anybody who's listening who has been a UCL project partner, because we thank you for helping us train and, and educate these early career professionals. And hopefully you've all gotten something out of it for your own species that you work on. What would you say has been the biggest challenge so far? I would say the biggest challenge so far has been the pandemic. A lot of what people get out of UCL who go through the course is this incredible bonding with the other fellow participants, but also the opportunity to network with established leaders, either speakers who come in for this or the board members, all of them who volunteer and want to share what they've learned and help these people go forward in their career. And unfortunately, the pandemic really set us back. Class eight, which is the class that got saddled with this global pandemic, weren't able to meet in person. They had the first meeting together, which is great, but typically the second year they come back together and then they come back together for a third time accompanied by their graduation. And the world being what it's been for the last two years, we had to keep postponing and then canceling 
these in-person trainings. And luckily, you know, our trainers and our board and everyone stepped up with these virtual trainings and lots of opportunity, but it's really not the same thing. You know, part of that magic that Emerging Wildlife Conservation Leaders has cultivated has been through the in-person gatherings and bonding that happen typically at White Oak, Florida, and sometimes in other places as well. So that's been a struggle. We, we want that class to have the same incredible experience that the first seven classes had, and we really had to adapt and try to figure out how to make that happen given the state of the world. I, I'll add to that. I completely agree that the pandemic really threw this poor class. But, you know, in every cloud has a silver lining kind of thing. The class stepped up in such a huge way and found their own way to bond virtually. And also, I will say that the projects delivered by this class were phenomenal. They had extra time because their class dragged on. We joke for like, oh my God, it's been 10 years since this pandemic started. But so they had extra time to work on it, but they, they actually did that. They put all this extra energy and we had four phenomenal, uh, all rhino, something near and dear to my heart projects come out of this class. And so they made the best of it and hats off to them. I do have to agree that some of my favorite memories were from the in-person meetings but they they did a phenomenal job with their projects and they seem to have made lem- lemonade from lemons they they did so so great with all of with all of the successes that you guys have had over the years and the wonderful projects that have come through and and just the great connections people have made and i can go on and on do you have a particular moment that you said to yourself this. This is why I do it. Like a success story or some proud moment. I'll jump in with mine first. I think it would have to be our pangolin story. Um, for listeners who aren't familiar with pangolins, they are this incredible mammal that's fully scaled, found in Africa and Asia, and it unfortunately has the dubious distinction of being the most trafficked mammal in the world. And they're incredibly endangered. And so that was one of, I think it was class two or three we selected pangolins as a project for the folks to work on. And that group came together and they did a really great education, educational project in Southeast Asia where trafficking and demand both happened overlaid with it being habitat for a couple of species of pangolins. And afterward, the group enjoyed working on this so much that they stayed together and two of them went on to form Save Pangolins, an NGO devoted to pangolin conservation on top of their day jobs. And I'm so excited to say that one of them right now actually is a co-chair of the IUCN Pangolin Specialist Group, which is the world's leading authority on pangolins and pangolin science and conservation. So they both very generously credit Yukul to putting me on this course in their lives. And by the way, the other one heads up the Pangolin Conservation Fund for the Wildlife Conservation Network, which literally puts hundreds of thousands of dollars into pangolin conservation annually. So they both have been such incredible ambassadors for Yukul in the way that they have taken their species project and made it part of their career and made such a big difference for that animal. That's a great story. And I completely agree with that example. I will add to that, that anytime we hear, and it happens a lot about 
jobs that someone has gotten because of a Yuko connection and promotions they've gotten. And a supervisor has said, you know, you've really come back with some skills from that merging wildlife conservation leaders training. And, and I will say thank you to all the people who reach back out to us and let us know uh, that they feel like their Yuko journey has really helped them or their Yuko connections. That Boy, that is just, you know, affirming in a huge way. And, and maybe one other quick example I'll give is Every graduation, the graduations are very fun. In fact, we're going to have one this December for this current class, finally. And they can get very emotional because people have gotten so close over the years. I'm trying to remember your graduation, Crystal, but some of them, there are a lot of tears. I remember one, I'm hearing some people crying near me, you know, happy, emotional tears. And I look over and frankly, it was a bunch of board members crying along with the class because they, they, they hate to, they hate to, leave each other and, and they hate for the class to end. And boy, if there's ever reason to say this is why I volunteer my time for this. What would you say is a lesson or two that you've learned since starting Yukel? Um I'll jump in first and just say leadership styles. When I came in and started, you know, Yukel, it I kind of assumed that most of the participants and the leaders that came in out of it would reflect my leadership style, which tends to be very extroverted and a little bit more type A. And what I found was some of the participants who applied for this, and just by virtue of applying and getting selected, they've shown some leadership skills, actually have a wide range of ways they approach leadership. And sometimes those who are a little bit quieter um, and softer in their approach can be even more effective than those that mirror my style, which tends to be a little bit more out there. So it's been a great experience. It's actually helped me in my career when I am dealing with people who approach things very differently. And I just have to think, well, they have a very different leadership style and I need to be aware of it and respect it and work within what makes them comfortable. I'll add to what Jeff said in that our trainings have evolved over the years. We have learned from the participants. We've uh, ourselves become better trainers. If there's one life lesson I've learned, it's that teaching is very easy because you help raise a topic and then you let your adult students, as I'm sure this isn't true with kindergartners, but when you're, when you're teaching adults, you know, they bring their own knowledge and life experiences to the class. And so really, it's us putting together ability for them to bring their own experiences and learn from each other as much as learning anything from us. Jeff, you mentioned the Pangolin Project, but do you guys have any other key achievements from the projects that you can can think of with long-term impacts or... Sure. You know, we actually try really hard to monitor our own class as well as teaching, monitoring, evaluation to our participants to make sure that we are succeeding in the goals that we've set out. And with every project that's come forward, you know, we need to have them demonstrate a measurable outcome that's advanced conservation of the species that they've been focused on. So it's really been rewarding to watch this happen. With the most recent class, as Nina had mentioned, they were very focused on rhinos, all four groups. Um, each one took a different rhino species and had a different partner. They all were doing rhino conservation. And I'll just mention one of them, the black rhino group, set out to make a difference in helping rangers, park rangers, who are on the front lines and risk their life every day to help protect this critically endangered species. And what they did was they talked to the rangers and found out what they needed to be more successful and set up this incredibly compelling outreach campaign about what rangers need and what they deserve. And not only did they create this really exciting campaign that rangers got excited about partaking in and participating in, they brought it to the World Ranger Congress, 
but they also then worked with the group Rewild to create a series of videos narrated by the actor, what's his name? Ed Norton. Ed Norton. And they were animated, and there were, I think there were almost five videos that they made, each one exploring a different aspect of what these rangers go through to help save the species. And it just was one of those really impactful, impactful efforts that went above and beyond what we'd even dreamed this project could do in a limited time with a group of people who weren't necessarily experienced in doing this type of project. What's next in store for you, Cole, and further in the future? Well, we are taking applications for our next class, Class 9. And by the way, we did not mention we also had a Caribbean Emerging Wildlife Conservation Leaders class. So we've had eight U.S. and one Caribbean, and we're taking applications currently for Class 9, which will start next spring. And so you can people can look on our website, wildlifeleaders.org, for the application The criteria are on there. You can see the projects from every one of the classes. You can see the participants from that past 17 years and learn more about it. And the website also shows the incredible breadth of this network. Not only all, you know, 200 participants that have gone through it and where they started and where they are now, but also you have this incredibly dynamic board filled with experienced individuals and all the partner groups and all the sponsors. And if you put them all together, it really represents, I would say, a huge chunk of the conservation community. So if somebody wants to see what conservation looks like and what kind of careers out there, this is a great site to start. I'll put a link to the website and your social media and the application in the show notes for anybody it's easily find. Jeff and Nina, I'm so happy to have gotten to chat with you guys. Yukul has meant so much to me, both professionally and personally. And I am excited to see it grow and continue. Thank you for all that you're doing. You're making a difference. And Crystal, I want to jump in and say one more thing that has been one of those heartwarming highlights from Yukul, and I would call that Forces for Nature. It is so wonderful to see one of the Yukul alumni going out there and telling good stories, a happy story, success stories about saving animals and saving the planet. So thank you. This is one of those things that makes me feel great about having been part of Yukul and having been there from the very beginning alongside Nina. Yes, here, here. I totally second that. And also, Crystal, you know you're one of my favorite people in the world. So um, getting to know you has certainly been a highlight. I love these two. They're wonderful human beings and compassionate, thoughtful leaders. During my time in Yukol, my group worked on a bat conservation project creating standards for the harvesting of bat guano. No joke, that's a thing. In fact, our guidelines were officially adopted by the IUCN Species Survival Commission. As in any field, sometimes you get siloed into one specialty, or find yourself competing instead of collaborating with your peers or that what you were taught in a textbook is not what you're experiencing in the real world. Jeff and Nina created Yukul to address these shortfalls, and it continues to have lasting impact throughout the world for people and for wildlife. Don't forget to go to forcesfornature.com and sign up to receive emailed show notes, action tips, and a free guide to help you start taking practical actions today. Do you know someone else who would enjoy this episode? I would be so grateful if you would share it with them. Hit me up on Instagram and Facebook and let me know what actions you have been taking. Adopting just one habit can be a game changer because imagine if a million people also adopted that. 
What difference for the world are you going to make today?